Well, I want to talk to you this morning and wrap up our series on This Is Us about guarding and protecting your family. I'm from the South, and it was real common to see on houses and cars, and I don't see it as much up here. But sometimes I would see on a house, this house is guarded by Smith & Wesson. And that was a gun owner's way of telling you, if you cross this door, you take your life in your own hands. Georgia has what they call the castle law, and that is if someone invades your house or invades your car, you have the right to defend yourself with deadly force. Sometimes I would see a sign that would say, beware of dog. One day I passed a house, took a picture of it because I had a friend in Springfield that loved collecting pictures of funny things. And somebody had put underneath the sign, it's a real mean dog too. <laughs> that sounded like experience. When we first moved to Michigan, I took a picture right here at one of the cemeteries because if you're going up Telegraph, the little cemetery there on the right, there's a tombstone with wisdom on it. And I mean, no disrespect to the family, but first time I saw that, I started laughing and saying, I sure hope wisdom hasn't died in our just generation. But how do you guard your family? I get asked this question a lot. I get asked questions about internet software protection and Sometimes people will come and say, who do you use for your alarm system here at the church? Um, it's very important that you secure your home. Some places that I've ministered, people literally have to put bars upon their windows to protect themselves. And yet at the same time, they endanger themselves because there's a fire, they can't get out. So protection is a big deal. Guarding our families is a big deal. I know people that... Um, carry guns under the seat of their cars, people that don't go anywhere without a gun. And we want to guard and we want to protect. It's the reason that we believe in a robust military in the United States, not only to protect our nation, but to protect and preserve democracy because democracy leads to freedom. Democracy leads to people being able to live and fulfill and pursue their own dreams. Democracy, by the way, I will just share this with you, and if we could bring up the back house lights as well this morning, it looks like some of the lights are off there. Democracy has to always be guarded and protected because there are always people that are wanting to destroy democracy or to limit it. And so it has to be guarded. It has to be defended. The Bible tells me that I should guard my heart Diligently is the word that the Hebrew uses. I should guard my heart diligently, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard my heart diligently. Do everything I can to guard and protect my heart because out of my heart proceeds all the issues of life. And so it's important then that I'm diligent about what I allow into my heart and what I love and what I treasure. But you can do all of those things. You can have the right software, the right security system, the right deadbolts. You can have all of that and still leave your family unprotected. And I want to talk to you this morning about what I think is the most important way to protect your family, protect your marriage, protect yourself, and that is building a deep, deep relationship with God. And building that relationship with your family before the Lord. 
I'd like you to do something for me, and I did this in the first service this morning. I want you to take your outline. There's a pen in the pew in front of you in case you don't have one, but I'd like you to ask, answer two questions for me this morning. What's the highest honor you could receive? Just write that down. What's the highest honor that you could receive? I've received a lot of honors in my life. I've had the opportunity to visit with presidents. I've had the opportunity, not presidents, a president, senators and governors. Well, what's the highest honor you could receive in life? If you just take a moment and write that down. And then if you could answer the second question for me, what's the best gift that you can give? And ladies, this might be a good time to lean over to your husband and tell him, what's the best gift that you could receive? Got them written down? Okay. As I pondered those two questions, for me, the answer is the same. The highest honor I can receive and the best gift I can give is friendship. It's friendship. I don't deserve, and I don't say this with any faults, maudlin, humility. I'm not trying to feign something. You can't live with people for almost 20 years and feign something. I got to just tell you the truth. I don't deserve any of the good things that God has given me. It's called grace. It's called, I don't deserve it. And I don't mean to be crass, but neither do you. And yet we sing that song here at Woodland, he calls me friend, he calls me friend, I am a friend of God, I am a friend of God. The other day when we sang that song, I just couldn't help but weep. I think the older I get, the softer I'm getting. I just find myself crying a little more easier now. He calls me friend. And the very best gift that I can give is friendship. When I tell people, the people I pastor, they're my friends. The people that I live with in my community, my neighbors, they're my friends. There's something precious and sacred about that to be guarded and to be treasured. And so many people live their lives so guarded and so trying to protect themselves, whether through Smith & Wesson or through internet software or through bars on the window or through the right locking or security systems. Friends, I got to tell you, the best way to guard your family is to be a friend of God. The best way to guard your family and your children and your grandchildren is to build a deep relationship with God. The Greeks would say that there were three motives for friendship, pleasure, profit, or goodness. And Jesus gets no profit out of our friendship with him. As a matter of fact, his friendship with us cost him everything. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It cost him everything for us to be the friend of God. But does it bring him pleasure? Absolutely. Does it bring him joy? Absolutely. And for you and me, it is the goodness of God that has saved us from our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? I remember back in the 80s where there were some really huge scandals that had happened in the world of Christendom and Christianity was being mocked 
because of some spectacular revelations of people's sins. I've told you this story before, but one of my good friends, Charles Dunlop, who wrote the first computer program for Fireman's Fund Insurance, Charlie took me out to breakfast one morning and he said, I just felt like I needed to tell you this. He said, if you ever fail, I'll be a better friend to you then than I am now. And I believe I'm a good friend to you now. But he said, I will never, ever mock you, ridicule you. He said, I want you to feel safe. And this old Marine captain, this man that I led his girlfriend to Christ, and when she told me that she and he were living together, I said, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to break up with him and you can't be having sex with him until... You know, you just to decide whether or not you want to get married. And by the way, if you're going to follow Jesus, you shouldn't marry Charlie until he gives his heart to Christ. Well, I had no idea Brenda was going to go right home and tell him that. Next thing I know, there's a sports car sliding sideways into our parking lot. I thought, I'm fixing to get beat up. Charlie came in, started crying and put his arms around me. He says, tell me how to be saved. Charlie gave his heart to Jesus and was marvelously born again. And I had the privilege of discipling this, this salty marine captain. He told me, he says, you're the only man that's ever come between me and my woman and lived to tell about it. So I'm so thankful for Jesus. But when Charlie spoke those words to me at a Cracker Barrel in Macon, Georgia that morning, he said, I'll be a better friend to you. He taught me something that I wrote down. He taught me to accept people not for what they could be, but accept people for who they are. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. He doesn't accept us for what we can be after Calvary. He accepts us for all that we are before Calvary. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am a friend of God. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to pray. Let me read a verse of Scripture to you. John chapter 10 and verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. You know that Jesus is talking about us and his relationship with us and him. But can I say to you, if you're a mom or you're a dad, this morning you're a shepherd. If you're a grandparent, you're a shepherd. If you're a small group leader, you're a shepherd. If you're a part of a team where you represent Christ on that team on the line, and maybe you're assembling a transmission, or maybe you're putting to the body of the car or the truck on the chassis, and you're a part of a team, you're a shepherd for Christ. You're there looking for lost sheep. And my question to you this morning is, do you know those? Do you, do you know your children? Do you know your wife? Do you make them a study? Do you know them inside and out? Do you pray, God, open their hearts to me? Do you pray over your children, God, show me what you want them to be. Show me what they're going through. Do you pray for your wife or husband that way? Because I'm telling you, there is a God in heaven who answers prayers of people who sincerely take responsibility, the leadership that they bring into other people's lives. And so it's not just for a pastor, and it's not just about Jesus, 
but it's about every one of us in here this morning being good shepherds of those that God has given us to lead and be responsible for. So, Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for those who work hard to help us guard our finances from those that would steal our credit cards or identities. We thank you for those who sit by the phone and the police that respond when a burglar alarm goes off in our home or our offices. We thank you, Lord, for those who work diligently to secure our internet services so our children are not bombarded, God, with things they should never see. God, we thank you for soldiers and firefighters and policemen. God, we thank you for all of those that you've given us to serve and to protect. But this morning, I'm asking you that you would touch us and help us to see the very best way we can protect our families is to be a friend of God. The very best way that I can guard my marriage and guard my children and grandchildren is to draw close to you, knowing that you will draw close to me. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Get a pen and follow along with me. The very first thing I would say to you this morning then in applying this is stay close to God. Stay close to God. Learn what God says to you that God wants to be your friend. And I think that's probably, for me, one of the most traumatic statements. I didn't grow up thinking that way, that Jesus wanted to be my friend. Even though we sang that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, often in the church I grew up in, I was more used to thinking of God in terms of the right of creatorship, and I was more used to thinking in terms of God who, that if I did something wrong, was going to punish me. And to be honest with you, even though there was this nascent love for God growing up in a Christian home, there was also this deep fear of God. And I will never forget the impact and the power of learning that God wants to be my friend. God wants to be your friend. I treasure your friendship this morning, and I treasure those of you that I've gotten to do life with and hike with or run with or go to a concert with or go to a, a fair or market with, those experiences that we've had together. But imagine this this morning, that Jesus says, I want to be your friend. Look at James chapter 4, where James is writing not to lost people, but he's writing to the church. He says, come close to God. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Now, stop right there for just a moment. How many of you know what a bubble is? How many of you know when I talk about a bubble, your personal space? Have you ever had anybody just get inside your bubble and you find yourself, if you don't know them, you kind of want to draw back out of that bubble where they, they get real close to you, you know? We all have these little personal spaces that only those that are very, very close to us, like our wives or our husbands or our children or maybe our best friend, that's why when we hug one another at church or we greet one another, there's this, there's this trust in each other as we greet one another. We invade one another's bubbles, so to speak. And God is saying, come close to me. And if you will come close to me, I will get in your personal space. I will come close to you. But he also says this, and this is so important. Wash your hands, you sinners, and 
purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And maybe that's not speaking to you this morning, but for this church that James was writing to, this was for a group of Christians who love the Lord, a group of Christians who were trying to do the right thing, but somehow or another they had compromised their faith and they had compromised their integrity and they forgot what we looked at a couple of weeks ago when I talked about the rooms in your house and said that all of us need every day to go to the bathroom to take a shower, to ask Christ to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of our sins. We need encouragement partners in our life because sometimes we don't know we stink. You know, I come in for a run sometime and I'll stop at the door and I'll go, I don't smell too bad. And I'll walk in the house and the first thing Becky and Amy says, you stink. And I says, impossible. I've got a very sensitive nose. My olfactory conditions are in good health. I, I can't smell myself. And they go, you are rank upstairs into the shower. They won't hug me. They won't kiss me. They won't come close to me. And sometimes the reason that we feel distant from God is not that God is moved, but we have allowed sin to pull us away from God. And God says, you need to go get a shower. You need to ask me to forgive you, to cleanse you once again and to recognize what the blood of Jesus can do. Has anybody ever tried to throw a boomerang before? I have tried and I've never been, anybody successful with throwing the boomerang? I haven't been either. I've tried throwing the boomerang, but they fascinate me. Those boomerangs, people who know what they're doing with them, they can throw them where they'll spin about three foot from the ground. They'll go 100 feet out and return to themselves. They're making 10 revolutions a second. Some people will throw them. They'll go way up high in the sky and they'll still come back. And when I think about sin, I think about sin as being Satan's boomerang in our life because a lot of times we feel like we sin and we get away with it. But the Bible is very clear. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. It doesn't say, be sure other people's going to find out your sins. You may cover your sins. You may hide your sins. But sin will find you out. You may die and you may stand before God and you may go there with unconfessed sin in your life that none of us was aware of, that none of us had any knowledge of. We waxed eloquent at your funeral. We talked about all your good traits and none of us were aware of this. But the Bible says your sins will find you out and sins sometimes will grip your conscience. Sins will grip your heart. Sin will grip you in pain and sin will have a way of coming back to you like a boomerang and it'll hound you and it'll haunt you until you come to the foot of the cross and you don't run from your sin but you run to the cross with your sin and you say, Lord, have mercy upon me. And when you do that, your conscience is clean. Your heart is pure. Your life is lighter. You walk around with your shoulders squared a little bit more because you know that when Christ forgives you, you're forgiven. It doesn't matter if anybody else forgives you, but God has forgiven you. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? I had the real distinct privilege of being able to go with our former world missions director and set the, the assemblies of God in order in, in uh, Ireland. And I will never forget because when we make aim trips, a lot of times we go to some countries and we'll come back. Argentina is for an example. Ireland is an example. We'll come back and we'll tell our students, say, now listen, we're going to a country where it's a little different than some of the countries we've been to. These girls, these guys, they're good looking. You're going to be tempted. They're really good looking, but there is no dating on a missions trip. There is no pairing off with a, a foreign national by yourself. 
we're here for ministry now. If you want to try to build a relationship after you come back home, that's between you and your parents and God, but there's no building. Well, I got to Ireland, and boy, I was really shocked, and I thought, man, what kind of talk? I remember John and I were talking what kind of talk I would have with the students, and I was told this story. I don't know if it's true, so when I tell you this story, you know, I hope you'll get it, but a young man from America had to go work in Ireland, and he was engaged to a girl. Now, the Irish people, they're like Texans. They're known for stretching the truth a little bit, you know, and so they were talking about this young American coming over, and his fiance wrote him and said, um, I uh, says, I'm just so worried that you're going to lose your affections for me, that maybe you're going to break up with me because there are so many pretty girls in Ireland. And he wrote her back and he says, honey, I only have eyes for you, but yes, they're pretty, but I'm really working hard just to think about you and not to think about them. So she sent him a harmonica and she says, I want you to practice this harmonica every night so that you will not have any trouble thinking about the Irish girls and you'll only think about me. And when he came back to America, he walked up to her to hug her and to kiss her and she says before there's any hugging before there's any kissing pull out that harmonica and play it for me <laughs> you see sin has a way of finding you out and that's the reason the bible says not because god is an angry god not because god is this wrathful god God poured his wrath out on your sin at Christ on the cross. But because sin has a way of binding you and destroying you and tearing you. So Jesus says to you, come to me. Before you were a Christian, you were the enemy of God. Look at Romans 5.10. We were God's enemies, but he made us his friends. Say that with me. He made us his friends. How? Through the death of his son. Now that we are God's friends, how much more will we be saved by Christ's life? Look at me this morning. The, 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 in the Old Testament, not many people were called a friend of God. You can't find many examples of people called a friend. Abraham was a friend of God. But in the New Testament, everything has changed. In the Old Testament, only one time a year could the high priest himself go before the Lord. And after a lot of sacrifices and after a lot of ritual, he went in with a pure heart. And if he didn't go in with a pure heart, they tied a rope around his ankle when he went into the Holy of Holies before the Ark of the Covenant. Because if he went in there with unconfessed sin in his heart, God would slay him. And the reason they had that rope around his ankle was because nobody could come into the presence of God and they would pull his dead body out by the rope. I'm telling you, if I'd have been a high priest, I'd have confessed sins I never even committed before I went into that little bitty room. Okay? So here he is. He goes in once a year and... Christ's death at Calvary changed everything. When that veil was written to from top to bottom, suddenly because of the blood of Jesus, you and I had access to God. And Jesus says this, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? I don't need a priest to prepare me to go into the presence of God. I don't need a mediator to prepare me to go into the presence of God. Jesus was my high priest. Jesus is my mediator. Jesus makes a way for us to be friends with God. 
Now here's the key transitional point in this message I want you to get this morning. When Jesus says, I call you my friends, I've told you everything the Father's told me, God has given us the Bible. We know how to read his word. We know how to study his word. We know how to apply his word. That's true knowledge is applying the word. Remember in communion just a few moments ago, I told you about the disciples. They had been with Jesus for three years. He had modeled for them what a friend was like. He had modeled for them what love was like. And here as he's headed to Calvary, these guys still don't get it. They would tell you, oh, I've been with Jesus. I can tell you what Jesus said. I know what Jesus, my name is John. My name is Peter. I walk with Christ. Let me tell you what he said. That's knowledge that leads to pride. The real knowledge of God leads us to apply his word and do his word. The dictionary, the encyclopedia, the internet is filled with knowledge. Knowledge can make you puffed up and make you think you know a lot. It is wisdom that takes knowledge and applies it. And it was knowledge that they knew they were supposed to love each other, but it was wisdom when Jesus got down on his knees and he washed their feet and he showed them how to love each other. And he says, if you love me, you will love and serve one another. And friends, if you have that kind of friendship with God, where you don't know about God, but you want to live like Jesus, you want to talk like Jesus, you want to serve like Jesus, you want to love like Jesus, you can ask him for whatever you will, because you won't ask selfishly and you won't ask with pride. You will ask according to the word of God. It's not that prayer doesn't work. It's because we have knowledge-filled Christians who do not have a friendship with God. When we have a friendship with God, we live like Jesus Christ. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? Prayer works. The Bible works. The gospel works. Evangelism works. It all comes together when we live like Christ has called us to, and that begins by loving one another. How important is this to God that you actually become his friend? Look at Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. I want your constant love, not your animal sacrifices. I would rather have people know me than burn offerings to me. God is not just interested in how many times you come to church. God is not interested in just how much money you give. God says, I want your constant love. And if I love him, your name is safe in my mouth. If I love him, your friendship is safe with me. If I love him, we're safe around one another. Can you say amen to that? That's what it means to love God. The second thing I'd say, that's how you protect your family. Second thing I'd say to you is teach your children to reverence God. Because children aren't born with a reverence for God. Children aren't born with a love for God. All of us were born in sin. All of us were shapened in sin. Sin has this boomerang effect upon us that the enemy uses against us unless we confess it. And it's just like children. You can tell a baby, don't touch, it's hot. And some of those babies are going to touch anyway, right? You can tell your teenage son, now son, I don't want you to speed. I want you to drive the speed. Matter of fact, I want you to drive five miles an hour below the speed limit. But if you've got a boy, now it may be different with a girl, but if you've got a boy, he's got something called testosterone. Testosterone leads to sin. And he gets in that car, daddy's not around, and he's got a choice. Do I kick it into passing gear? Do I downshift? You know, daddy will never find out. 
and he kicks that car and he goes and then he calls daddy when the police pull him over and says, you've got to come get your son because although he said he wouldn't do it, he did it. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. Okay? You see, you've got to teach your children reverence for God. And by the way, my daddy had to do it for me too. I think that was the reason my first car had to be a 40-horsepower Volkswagen. I could get five miles an hour or more out of it if I rolled the windows up going down a big hill in Macon, Georgia, but that's a story for another day. But you've got to teach your children to reverence God. Look at Psalms 25 and verse 14. Friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence him. Friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence him. With them alone, he shares the secrets of his promises. Friendship with God, those who reverence him, those who bring their families to family altars, those who bring their families to prayer, that husband and wife. Sir, let me just give you a little insight. This, this may not mean anything to you, but after 40 years of hearing these conversations, if you would just give me 30 seconds, I'll tell you something that will change your marriage. If you would just simply, either in the morning or at night, one of those two times, take your wife's hand and just pray a simple prayer of thanksgiving for her and asking God's blessings on the day or thanking him for his protection during the day, she will feel safe, she will feel protected, and she will feel loved because you have a friendship with God. And I can't tell you how many marriages could be transformed. I can't tell you how many children would be transformed because a dad, instead of listening to me talk about it, would just simply take his children, not try to make a production out of it, but bring his children before the Lord, either around the dinner table, the breakfast table, or at night, you know, before the television is turned on and say, let's just have a Bible story with the munchkins. Let's have a time of prayer with the teenagers and maybe share a Bible verse from the small group or from the outline of the message. And let's pray together as a family and let each person share a prayer request. And in five to seven minutes, you have guarded and protected your family and you will find, mom, you will find, dad, that suddenly as you read the Bible, the Bible becomes real to you. The Bible becomes alive to you because suddenly you will see things in the word that you've never seen before because God is sharing his secrets with you. He's opening the word of God to you. He's illuminating the word of God to you. He's bringing the word of God alive to you. And what you don't know is that when your 12-year-old or your 16-year-old or your 21-year-old or your 30-year-old son begins to go through a trial, somehow or another, God will bring back a verse of Scripture or God will bring back a time of family prayer and God will open his secrets to your son or your daughter during that time of testing and trial. And you say, Pastor, I've missed it. My children are grown. It is never too late to get into your prayer closet and to ask God to restore to you what the enemy may have stolen from you. God is able to do more for you in 15 seconds than you could do in 15 lifetimes. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Never give up hope. You see, when you come before God, Matthew 6, 5, when you come before God, don't turn that into a the theatrical production. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. It, don't pray in King James English, oh, thou great and most holy God. You don't talk like that. Can you imagine sitting down at the table and going, honey, would thou please passeth the salt? Your kids would be calling me saying, dad's lost it. He's lost it. 
You know, I, when I pray, I, I talk just like I'm talking to you. Now, there are times, most times, I'm very quiet when I'm praying. Sometimes I get very emotional or very intense in my prayer call. But when I pray with my children, you don't make a theatrical production. You're not going to impress. They know you anyway. They know you anyway. They've seen you too much. And they know when you're being sincere. He goes, do you think God sits in a box seat? Like, let's see how good you're going to do today. I just want to see how good, Scott, how good are you going to pray today, you know? Hey, I mean, God's not sitting there going, come on and entertain me. <laughs> God is looking at you and he wants your heart. He wants your love. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. In other words, be still. Wouldn't it be nice just to be still for a little bit? I was talking to Christopher this week. Becky had a convoy women meeting in uh, Springfield and I was talking to Christopher. And I said, Chris, what's the biggest difference between living in Springfield and living here? He says, Dad, the pace of life is so much slower in Springfield. He said, people have time for one another here. He said, uh, it's just a different life. And you know, that was one of the big changes we noticed from moving from Georgia to the north. We live a pretty hectic lifestyle up here. We live a, matter of fact, it kind of catches you off guard. I mean, Becky and I were talking the other day. We were just looking back over our lives and, you know, family and work and ministry and everything involved, your lives can get very hectic, can't they? They can get unhealthy. And the only way you can have a healthy and a hectic home, okay, let's be honest, we all have hectic schedules. The only way you can have a healthy and a hectic home is that you take time to get quiet before the Lord for a few minutes. It doesn't have to be a long time. God's not impressed by the length of the time. He's impressed by the fact that you're there simply and honestly, circle this phrase, as you can manage. Say that with me. As you can manage. Say it again. As you can manage. If you've got to be at work at 6 o'clock and, you know, or 5 a.m. in the morning, you can't have an hour's devotion unless you're an early morning riser. And if you're not an early morning person, God doesn't want to see you all grumpy to begin with. Okay? Get a cup of coffee. It'd be better to have five quiet minutes alone with the Lord or three quiet minutes alone with the Lord or listen to Christian radio in your car or a CD in your car. But as you can manage, and then the focus, now look at this, the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. And the reason that so many people feel like God is so distant is because they're hectic but they're not healthy. They're busy, but they're not focused. Hectic and healthy can go together if we slow down and focus on God, and then we begin to sense God's grace, and God's grace is when God gives me what I don't deserve. That's when I can parent my teenagers. That's when I can work through my marriage issues. That's when I can meet my finances. That's when I can meet those troubles on the job. That's when I can meet those people that are opposing me. Somehow or another, as I begin to pray because I'm applying God's word, God shows me how, God gives me wisdom, God gives me favor, God gives me answers, and I can come in there with a quiet confidence because the grace of God is upon me. If the grace of God is upon me, there is no way that the devil can ever defeat or overcome me. If you believe that, say amen this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Whoever that was, don't worry about it. 
Next time I'll talk about Scotland. I preach there too. <laughs> so here's what I'd like you to know. Here's how you can teach your children how to reverence God. Say and do only what God the Father does. Look in the Bible. How does God love? How does God, you see that in Jesus. You know how to love people because you read about the love. Apply it. Well, I don't feel like doing it. I didn't ask you to feel like doing it. I asked you to obey. I mean, have you ever had a child that said to you, I don't feel like doing it, Dad. I'm not mowing the grass. That kid would wake up next week. If he had a smart daddy or a smart mama, he'd wake up next week. I don't feel like it, Dad. I'm not shoveling the driveway. I called Andrew one time. I says, what would happen to you if you said to a colonel, sir, I don't feel like doing it, sir. He goes, you don't want to know. Now that he's an officer, I think he's really enjoying that, that bit of authority he now possesses. You see, it's important to understand when we see what the Father does, we obey the example of the Father. Number two, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now remember my opening comments. Why does God tell us first our heart? What does he say? Love me with all your mind. Study hard. Learn all you can. Get all the facts you can. You know, learn all the theology you can and apply yourself like that. Why don't you just be? I mean, that's what you get your gold stars for in school. That's why the teacher makes you stand up is because you applied your mind. But God says it's out of your heart that all the issues of life flow from. It's out of your heart. If you don't understand your heart, if you don't guard your heart, you will never be able to love me with your mind, with your soul, and your strength. I'm telling you, your heart is the most important part of your body. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it proceeds the issues of life. So love God. Number three, worship God together as a family. Number four, pray with your children. And then can I say this? Because it's only just gotten really common, and I just... Boy, I just want to warn people, never, ever, ever use the Lord's name in vain. I just forgive me for this, but we've got no business going around going, oh my God, oh good God, oh my God, oh good God. Friends, if we don't take the name of God sacred and treat it holy, nobody else will. And we live in a culture now where some of the most vulgar language is used and we think nothing about it because we live in this world. Friends, I'm not going to go out here and tell the world what words they're going to use, but I can tell you one thing is for me and my house, we're going to honor the name of the Lord. And when we say the name of Jesus, we're going to breathe the name of Jesus reverently. Amen. And it's so important that we teach our kids that. Becky and I were talking about this one time, and I said, what would have ever happened to you if you'd have walked in and to the house and your mother had made a great dinner and you went, oh my God, that looks delicious. She says, my daddy would have killed me. I said, you know, I said one time, golly, like Gomer Pyle did. I got dragged to the bathroom. I know what Life Boy soap tastes like. Because my parents wanted me to know to reverence the name of the Lord. And I remember my dad sitting down with me and saying, son, it is so important that you learn what certain words mean. Certain words, they're dishonoring to the Lord. They're dishonoring to God. And Denny, the reason you're alive is because of God. The reason you have your health is because of God. The reason that you have your life is because of God. Never dishonor the name of the Lord. It is not funny. It is not cool. It is not popular. And friends, if we want to raise children who love and reverence the name of the Lord, then we too must love and reverence the name of the Lord. Got you. 
I'd say next, teach them the Bible. I gave Pastor Corey and Jeanette a book that I gave to, to uh, my grandchildren. Just a book on teaching kids theology. And Corey was telling me the other day how much their kids were enjoying reading it. And Dana called me one day and was telling me how much they were enjoying reading the book. I keep it where I have my devotions every morning in the room where Becky has her piano and I go in and I have my coffee and my devotions. I still have the Bible story book that's all colored in, our children used. And you say, why do you keep that book there? I keep that book there because it reminds me of those times with my children and praying with them. And uh, when my grandchildren come home, I say, let me show you what your daddy did. Let me show you where Andrew wrote this. Let me show you this when we prayed together. I want to pass on to them a love for the word of God that they'll take it in because they're not gonna get that anywhere else but Christian families and churches. And then live a virtuous life before your children. Live the word life that God has called you to live. And then I would say this, be consistent with your discipline, your promises, and your obedience. Consistent with your discipline, your promises, and your obedience. Be a man or a woman of your word. When you do this, you're protecting your family. When you do this, you're guarding your family. When you do this, you're guarding your relationship with God. You're saying that he matters in my life. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 and verse 27 that the fear of God is a spring of living water so you won't go off drinking from poisoned wells. Now, every parent, look at me for just a moment. If you teach your children the fear of God, you are guarding them from poisoned wells because then they recognize what wells are poisonous and what wells are not. When we started this series, This Is Us, and this is the final message in it today, one of our teenagers came to me and says, Pastor, have you watched that show? And I go, no, I haven't watched it at all. I said, but I really like the title, This Is Us, and that's what we're going to talk about. And that student looked at me and says, Pastor, I'm so glad you hadn't watched that. And to this day, I haven't watched one yet. Maybe you have, and maybe you can enlighten me later. But I wrote in my journal that night how important it is to live before the children that you have, that I pastor, a life that says to them, I'm only going to drink from sweet wells and not from poisoned wells. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's a bad show. I've never watched it. But this particular teenager said to me, or this college student said to me, Pastor, I'm so glad you've not watched it. I don't know what it's about, but here's what I want you to know this morning. When you drink from the wells of living water, you're going to lead your children to the wells of living water. But if you drink from poisoned wells, you're going to teach your children to drink from those wells, and they will go further than you've ever gone with those wells. And so it's important that we understand how to teach our children to reverence God. And then finally, this morning, trust the good shepherd through the dark valleys. You're going to go through painful times. You're going to go through hurtful times. But friendship is built on trust. That's what friendship is built upon. And when you guard a family, when you go through a painful time, what Charlie Dunlap was saying to me, he was saying to me, Pastor, if you ever go through a, if you ever mess up, if you ever fell up, I'm not gonna judge you. Pastor, I'm not gonna beat you. We have a friendship. Pastor, you led me to Christ. Pastor, you discipled me. But if you ever fall, Pastor, I'm gonna be a better friend to you than I am now. 
And pastor, I believe I'm a good friend to you. What was he saying to me? He was saying, you can trust me. And to this day, 30 years later, I still know that I can trust Charlie and I can trust Brenda. I've been through so much with so many of you here that I know we can trust one another. You can't build friendship without trust. And I'm telling you, you can trust God. You can trust Jesus. He has always been faithful. He has always been true. He has never gone back on his word. You can trust him with everything that you've committed to him. He will keep it. He will guard it. He will protect it. And in the last day, he will reward you for all your service to him, for serving him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Well, give him a hand of praise. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to fail. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have painful times. It doesn't mean that cancer won't come to visit you. It doesn't mean that your wife won't leave you or your husband won't leave you. It doesn't mean that your child won't backslide. It doesn't mean that somehow or another your job won't be lost or your, your business won't be lost. It doesn't mean that you won't be protected from bad times because all of us at some time or another, we will walk through the dark valley of the shadow of death. But when we walk through there, we can walk trusting God. He did not forsake us in the good times. He will not forsake us in the the bad times. Well, give him a hand of praise this morning. Think about it. See, Pastor, why is that so important? Because in days of prosperity, people tend to take all the blessings that God has given them and then they begin to give themselves a pass. We don't have time for prayer. We don't have time for small group. We don't have time for ministry. We don't have time to go and serve. We don't have time for church because we got to use our camper. We got to use our cottage. And, you know, Pastor, now I've got all these other responsibilities. I don't have time for worship anymore. But, Pastor, when things slow down, you'll see me again. What we don't realize is that the enemy has lassoed us with the good things that God has blessed us. And sin begins to pull us further and further away from God. And suddenly, because our children aren't in kids zone or our children are not in youth ministry or we're not in church together or we're not doing family devotions together. Somehow or another, the attractions of this world, these poison wells that we drink from, they begin to poison our children's relationships with God. They begin to poison our marriages. And rather than being built up on our most holy faith, we are building our lives on the sinking things of this world. And Satan pulls us further away from the cross. But God is merciful. God is merciful for God allows a storm to come, God allows a hard time to come. It causes us to realize we need the Lord more than a vacation, more than a second home, more than a bonus, more than a booming economy. What America needs more is not an army, it's not an economic boom. America needs a revival from God. It is Christ that makes our lives secure and whole and holy. It is Christ that does that for us. And pain then, pain becomes the nuclear fission. Pain becomes the coal in the engine. Pain becomes the wood on the fire. And it builds a fire in us. And we find ourselves drawing closer and closer to God. And do not think for one moment, sir, do not you think for one moment that these are just words that I've read. These are 40 years of pastoring people and seeing what brings people closer to God and what pulls them away from God. When we begin to love the things that God gives us more than we love the God who gave them to us, the enemy then begins to pull us away. But pain brings us back to a place where we confess our need for Christ and we stop deceiving ourselves and we stop deceiving our children. I'm telling you this morning, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod? Man, when I'm in pain, I don't want no rod on my bot. When I'm in pain, I want to be comforted. I want Becky to come alongside me and say, it's going to be okay. Here's some soup. I want Belinda to make that chicken soup that she makes so well. My kids asked me to get sick recently so Belinda would cook us chicken soup. Backsliders. Here's what I'm saying to you. If we're not careful, then we see the dark valleys as where God has abandoned us. And we see the pain where God has abandoned us. But in our pain, suddenly Job 29.4 becomes real. I wish for the days when I was strong and when God's close friendship blessed my house. Do you remember that day, sir? Do you remember that day, ma'am? When you walked close to the Lord and you got up in the morning and maybe it was only five minutes, maybe it was 10 minutes and it wasn't a theatrical production but you sat before the Lord and you said, oh God, today I want to love you more than I did yesterday. Today I want to serve you better than I did yesterday. And before the sun goes down, you get with your family and you take your daughter and you take your husband or your wife by the hand and you say, Lord, I thank you for everything we have is a gift from you. Your blood for us, your salvation for us, your healing for us. God, before we go to bed tonight, this family wants to say thank you. And you sense the presence of God and God's close friendship blesses your home and God takes your pain and he turns it into joy and you know that you're not abandoned. And this morning, I dare say, even though we're about half in number, there are people here today, you remember when God's close friendship blessed your house. God hasn't moved. It's time for you and I to come back to the cross and to say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. For your name is great and your grace is great. Christ, have mercy on us now. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. God is not finished with you. God is not finished with you. And if you're going through a time of struggle, through a time of trial, I just want to tell you, God's not through with you yet. God says to you, give all your worries, give all your cares to me, if I care about you. He also says, if you'll hold on to me, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care if you'll only get to know and trust me. The best way you can guard your family is to be a friend of God. So while we're standing here, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, 
Would you just begin to pray this prayer right now in your heart and mind? Say, Lord, I want to be your friend. Lord, forgive me. Save me from my sins. I believe in you and I trust you. You just talk to Jesus like that right now. He's he's listening to you. He hears you. You're not here by an accident. If you're here this morning, James was writing to believers. And you, you remember the days when God's friendship blessed your house. When you were strong in the spirit and strong in the Lord. Life was hectic then, but life was healthy because you were close to God. Some of you in this room, you've suffered a lot. You've suffered abandonment. You've suffered reversal of fortune. You've suffered the death of a spouse or a child. And maybe this morning, somehow or another, in your pain, maybe you've been looking to other things to comfort you. God has not abandoned you. God loves you. And he says, if you will give your cares and you'll give your worries to me, I'll get you out of any trouble. Are you in financial trouble this morning? God will get you out of that trouble. Are you in marital trouble? God will get you out of that. So I'm asking you right now, Would you just say, Lord, have mercy on me. Christ, have mercy upon me. Forgive me, Lord, for wandering and drifting in my faith. Forgive me for going through the motions. And just like those who pray to give their hearts to you, Lord, I know the place to begin is to say, forgive me. But I'm just being honest to you and saying as much as I know how, I'm drawing close to you in this dark valley. I don't even know if I can walk anymore. Would you pick me up? And would you carry me, Lord, and bring me through this storm, I ask? If you prayed that this morning, nobody's looking around but me, but would you just hold up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me this week. I'm praying, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. You can put yes, ma'am, God bless you. Yes, sir. Hold it up high. No one's, it's just me, you, God bless you, yeah. Now I'm going to ask us all around this building. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask us all around this building. Would you just forget yourself and just focus on God? And would you lift your hands up to Him all around this building? And would you begin to just ask the Lord, 
God, send us a revival. Send us a revival to our community, to our city, to our churches. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Pray, call upon him desperately. And while your hands are lifted and you're praying, if you've got a son or a daughter or a spouse that's wandered away from Christ, pray for them right now. Just take a moment. Seek his face. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And would you pray for one another? Would you pray for those beside you, in front and behind you? You don't even know them. That's okay. Pray for them anyway. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastors and their families. And now, Lord, I thank you as the church prays for one another and what a beautiful sight with all these hands lifted before you, Lord. I pray for this church. I thank you for calling me to be a pastor to this congregation. And Lord, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would be like a wall of fire around about this church. That if any enemy comes against it, then, Lord, he will be apprehended, defeated, broken in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for this church in the name of Christ, that, Lord, there will be a hunger and a thirsting for you that, Lord, can only be satisfied from the springs of living water that we want to lead our families to. I pray for us as fathers that, Lord, we will nurture our children in the admonition of the Lord. I pray for us as husbands that, Lord, we will love our wives. We will love our wives as Christ loved the church. I pray for the women of our church, Lord. I pray for those that are married that in the name of Jesus they will honor and respect their husbands. And God, for those that are married to men that are not believers, that the very way that they live their lives, God will lead them, as Paul wrote in Corinthians, to reconsider their ways and to commit their lives to you. And I pray for our children that, Lord, they will be like young olive trees, like young oak trees of righteousness, that our daughters will be like fruitful vines. Lord, I am asking you in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, pour out your spirit of grace and supplication upon this church. And Lord, may we all guard our hearts. And as we trust you, that we trust one another. And may all people know whether at Woodland or any other church in this community, that we are your disciples because we love one another. For it's in Christ's holy name I pray. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Now, Lord, as we prepare to bring our tithes and our offerings and our missions gifts to you this morning, I thank you for your great faithfulness to us. I thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of the church to you in tithes and offerings and receive our gifts this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Those of you that prayed with me this morning,
to give your heart to Christ, if you will, right after the service, come to the crossing, check out on that card on the back before you put it in that you committed your life to Christ. But we have a gift we want to give you for committing your life to Christ. Ushers, you can come on down and just something to help you grow. For those of you that are, are like me, you're kind of note intensive, this little outline for the growth work at the end is simply start, walk, and finish in faith. It's from a message that Dr. Ron Cottle, the former president of the AG Seminary, preached that had a big impact on my life. And that's your growth work if you want that for this week. Pastor Rick will come and dismiss you after the officers receive. God bless you guys.